0: When a company goes for free and you go to their, their comment section on their Facebook page or Instagram, and you just see hundreds of thank yous, I mean, that's not something they get every day. This is Defender Radio.
1: I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers brought to you by the Fur Bearers. I was thrilled last week to talk to PJ Smith for this week's episode. PJ is the director of fashion policy at the Humane Society of the United States, and he's played a major role in getting big brands like Armani to drop fur and institute corporate-wide fur-free policies. We had a wonderful conversation about fur policy, the historic context of the current fight to make fur history, and how his method has proven successful. We even got into self care and what solutions exist for every advocate who wants to see an end to the use of fur in fashion. Now we've got a few quick things to discuss before we get into that. First, let's check out a review. This one from Must Be Jam on iTunes. Michael's podcast is a champion for animals. As an animal lover and vegan, this subject is close to my heart. It's a subject that is timely and important for the conservation of wildlife and the ecosystems of our natural world. I live next door to Yosemite National Park and know how advocacy is an important part of conservation and protecting our wildlife. Thank you, Michael. Well, thank you, Jam. That was great. And I love your name. Reviews and ratings really help boost Defender Radio's visibility. For instance, we were in the top 25 for the nonprofit sector when I announced our 100,000th download, and a whole bunch of you checked it out. So, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts, or even just the Defender Radio Facebook page, please do take a moment and write a review. And I might just read yours during an upcoming episode. I also wanted to thank two recent Patreon supporters of the show, Tara and Danielle. Thank you both for your monthly support. It takes the burden of covering costs of the show from the fur bears and creates new opportunities for things like transcripts and other projects, including a brand new project that I'm going to tell you about right after you hear from PJ. So with no further delays, here's PJ Smith of HSUS discussing fur, fashion, and the future. A logical place to start in this broad conversation we're going to have is the question with, are people wearing fur? Because this, and I don't know if you get this, uh, probably not so much down in Texas, but in in the northern states, every winter we hear people say, oh, all I see is Canada goose or fur Mm -hmm. trim everywhere. But is it everywhere? I guess. Uh, do we know how many people are wearing fur in North America? What the trend is right now? Where where are we at with fur? It's a good
0: question. Um, and it, it changes quite often. Um, I mean, you'd be shocked to know you say Texas, but Dallas, Texas is one of the top uh, fur sales uh, cities in, in the United States, hmm. uh, which gives you a pretty good indication that it's not about keeping you warm. Yeah. <laughs> it's about a, a certain status symbol. And so where we are, I guess, globally is still there's there's quite a lot of production and a lot of sales happening in China um, and Russia, um, depending on how their economy is doing. Um, but the more you go west um, to Europe and the United States, uh, I think the trend right now is away from fur. I think it's a c- couple things are happening. Uh, I think where consumers' attitudes towards animals are changing generally in all industries, from cosmetic testing to the animals that uh, for fruit and food production. And right now, we're seeing brands that want to capitalize on that on that growing market, generally with like Gen Z. Um, up from there, millennials. I don't. I think that's that's not where the change is happening. Um, definitely not in my generation, Gen X. But it's the Gen Z that all these companies are just salivating over. I think they see them as the, you know, the the future luxury consumers, the bigger than the baby boomers, and uh, that's that's the target. So they recognize that that generation really cares about these issues. And by posting on social media and making these very loud fur-free announcements, it's, it's really going, um, it's spreading. And they're getting all this free advertising on social media. And what then is happening is now the legislative side is, is following the corporate side. And what we're seeing is in Europe, fur production is moving away. So when, say, the Netherlands passed its fur say, uh production ban um, we started seeing fur farms kind of leave the netherlands and go to other countries like poland and europe but now poland's like well we don't want that industry here and so they're looking at banning it and so right now it's like europe is very uh focused on banning fur production and here in the us this is just something that kind of blows my mind is that um starting in with West Hollywood in 2013, we're banning fur sales. Then Berkeley, San Francisco, Los Angeles. And right now we're at a point where California is currently looking to ban. They introduced a bill to ban fur sales. And New York and New York City have introduced bills to ban fur sales. And we should have votes on both of those very soon. Uh, it kind of blows my mind. I mean, with in the United States, like, New York city is fashion. Yeah. So you have potentially the fashion capital, one of the fashion capitals of the world, um, looking to ban fur sales to say it's so cruel that they don't want anything to do with it and that there's alternatives that are just as good. And, and so that's, what's happening. And I think that's really going to just change the conversation completely. Uh, when you have these cities starting to ban fur sales, I know it's getting very, some companies like Canada goose, very nervous because i don't know if you know much about the the bull hook you know what a bull hook is it's um this stick with a hook at the end and it was used to uh, train uh, circus elephants Mm -hmm. kind of to break them down and you place the hook right behind their ear and it's very sensitive Um, and when an elephant sees a trainer with a bull hook they pretty much do whatever that trainer wants and so what Activists around the United States started doing where they worked with their city councils to ban this bull hook, so that circuses couldn't bring that in. So what ended up happening was the circus couldn't come to Los Angeles, couldn't come to certain cities in uh, I think New Jersey was one of them, and it became too much of a scheduling nightmare for circuses like Ringling, Barnum and Bailey to figure out, okay, well, we can go to this city, but we can't go to this city, and we don't know how we'll get the elephants from here to here. And, and so they ended up closing after 150 years uh, because of these little city ordinances. And I think what's gonna happen now is, depending on what happens in New York City and California, I already know there's about three or four other cities that are looking to introduce fur sales bans uh, in the United States. But I think it's going to be really, really difficult for these brands to say, oh, I can't sell our product in this store, but we can sell it across the street in this city. Um, And they're just going to want to avoid that complication altogether. And I think that's where Canada Goose is pretty nervous. And you're going to start seeing Canada Goose come out with other products that are probably just as warm um, and and fashionable as some of that coyote fur, uh, but without the cruelty. And so I think that's where you're gonna see huge change happening. And and with these companies going for free, I, I, I know that China's consumers really care about brand recognition. They want their logos big on some of their, ba- on their bags. And so when they're making these announcements, when you have Gucci going for free and Versace, all these huge luxury brands now saying they want nothing to do with it i think that really resonates with the chinese consumer as well so i'm very optimistic
1: right now well and it's interesting i mean there's a lot there to talk about and we'll get through as much of it as we can and one of the things i i gotta think that is making such a huge difference is very simply social media um you touched on that with some of the uh uh, the gen Z uh, or gen z depending on where you are um that threw me off sorry yeah, okay. um oh yeah we say yeah we that's one of can one of our canadianisms we've got like half it? our language is uh british english and half our language is american english got it uh so we have used randomly in a lot of words and we say <laughs> Z instead of Z. anyway it's a whole thing um so it was very confusing as a child with all that american media we were talking about um I think with social media, though, definitely we're, we're having that impact and we're seeing it's all of a sudden all of this information is so much more accessible. And I wanted to to chat a little bit about sort of the last big what I would call animal rights movement. And I guess it was that late 80s, early 90s when fur was at its height then. Mm-hmm. Um, and people look back and say, well, what happened? And you hear a lot of people talk about on the street activism, which no doubt played a role. But I got to wonder if the reason it came back is because we didn't have social media, because we couldn't say, here's what a fur farm looks like. Here's what a a trapped animal looks like so easily like we can now.
0: Sure. I think that's a a really, really wonderful point. Uh, You're you're 100% right that fashion in itself is cyclical. So when something goes away, it generally comes back. Um, I mean, there's some... Some trends that I would hope would never come back, but it's surprising to see <laughs> some kids walking around. I can't wait for the the like big oversized jeans and and overalls <laughs> oh, and <no>. bottoms <laughs> uh, no. coming back with the wooden but...
1: beaded necklaces and <laughs> exactly. oh great
0: but what happened so you you're right like the activism in the late 80s early 90s um mostly with like pETA in the united states doing these provocative billboards and ad campaigns same was kind of happening over in the uk with FarmAid and and it was the sales went down imports went down it was taboo to wear fur uh, that's where the kind of the myth of of throwing red paint yeah. uh, came about um but if you look back at that time, not only was there no social media to really spread uh, the word, but there was no, I, I think activists were kind of new at it and they didn't get corporate policies. Oh, yeah. And what the only thing out of the eighties and nineties that happened besides just this understanding that wearing fur was bad was that Calvin Klein went for free, that's it. Hmm. So it's not shocking to me that it came back, and it came back strong in the mid 2000s, and now we're seeing that the the importance of getting these corporate these corporate public policies, um, so that even like when we work with companies, hum- Humane Society the United States, we we won't stop unless they say like we're going to make a public policy. Because any sort of, uh, we were working with companies earlier that were saying like, well, we don't want to alienate our consumers, so we're going to uh, kind of just keep it internal. I'm like, no, nope, yeah. you need to say something, you need to put it on your website, I need to point to it. And the importance of that is is the bandwagon effect that has happened since then. Um, when you get a Gucci to finally say that you're going for free, you're going to see all these companies just the dominoes are falling at this point and and social media is helping with that and you're you're right too where some of these videos that people can see i mean i i don't know about maybe it's just that i'm working in animal welfare but i can't go on social media without seeing uh, 20 dog videos um 10 cat videos and Mm -hmm. i don't know anything else but um that i think that's really resonating with people too where we're learning about animals i watched a video of a crow Bending a tool to get something out of a tube the other yeah. day. And I was like, oh, shit.
1: Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you um, can swear. It's fine.
0: Yeah. Okay. And it's, uh, that crows are super, super smart. And we are now learning about that. We are seeing elephants, baby elephants get trapped in holes and their mothers come in rushing to protect them. Uh, there's just this overall great understanding of animals um, and how that they each are individuals. And, and we might not want to hurt them and, and see them either skinned or, or you, their horns for ivory or their skins for, for, for a fur coat and a trim that's really unnecessary at this point because there's alternatives that are just better. So yeah, you're right, and there's, there's a lot of things going on there, but I, but I am, again, confident that these public policies are gonna make it extremely difficult for fur to ever come back as an acceptable trend.
1: And that makes perfect sense because you can point and say, well, you've got this policy. And we, we came up against that. I think it was, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the actual parent company, but it's, it's the folks who own Canadian Tire and Sport Check and, um, okay. <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of uh, Quebec-based uh, uh, sporting goods stores. And they quietly said, we're going to go for free. But it wasn't so much they were going for free. It's that they weren't selling any fur products that season. Mm-hmm. And trying to balance this as saying this is great, it shows that consumer choice is working, but also recognizing this isn't a forever thing necessarily for exactly the reason you've just said, that they didn't say, yes, we are fur-free and this is why and our policy moving forward. And sure enough, I think it was one or two seasons later, they started introducing fur products again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that really does point to the importance of understanding Um, the structure that we're dealing with, Uh, the corporate structure, the the social structure, and all those underlying things. And I guess I, I and I don't know how to phrase this. But in your experience, is it a black and white situation where you go in and you say this is bad and you have to change? Or is there some level of recognizing that this is a huge systemic situation? that we can't change just by saying, I wanna see a change. Um, and I, d- I don't mean to be dismissive of your work, I don't mean to be dismissive of of the people in the streets, but just trying to put that context into it of, it's not a binary kind of situation when you approach it.
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, when I first started this job, and I've been doing, I've been the working on fur for the Humane Society of the United States for about 10 years. And, and at the beginning, it was about getting meetings and, and I remember I got a, a, a meeting with this big retailer out of New York city, big luxury retailer. And it was, they brought all the, the heads of the different departments and I was like, okay, I'm never going to have this opportunity again. And I'm going to show them the, the worst of the worst, um, the caracal, uh, fur from Uzbekistan of of, 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 pre-born lambs and, mm-hmm. Uh, skinning alive and all the things that are are part of the fur trade. And I remember seeing their faces and they just shut down. They didn't want anything to do with it and they were like we they they said thank you for showing us that like but that's where the conversation ended. And I realized then that this wasn't just a let me show you the bad parts and you're going to suddenly change. Um, and so my approach has drastically, changed in the last few years where uh, now I go into companies and I say, okay, this is what's happening. And they say, we want to find the most humane source of fur out there. And I say, okay, let's find it. And we hope we'll go through everything. We'll go through every marketing scheme. We'll go through every country's production. Mm -hmm. Um, Even some of the brands they'll go to the fur farms and every single time, that they start that discussion, they have gone for free. And, and I think it's not just because, I mean, I think the bottom line is dollars and right now consumers are that that changing attitude you mentioned before are leading to dollars on social media. But I also think that, um, this whole idea of doing good, um, is, is making companies do better uh, financially as well. So I think that they, they, they want to do the best that they can, um, within the parameters. And so they, they do their homework. Um, but the the thing about the fur trade different from wool and, and leather and, and down and a lot of these other products, which I don't uh, dismiss it. They're, they're just as cruel and, and um, huge risk of being associated with animal cruelty. But fur is one of those things that's just a wild animal in a cage. Um, you can't really find a good way to do that. And, and that's where a lot of these policies are happening. Um, and, and same with trapping. I mean, it's just some of these these brands, when they see trapping, they're like, well, we want nothing to do with that. And so yep. they're like, okay, what species is that? And so then you have to kind of go through, okay, well, this isn't just one policy that can fix it all. Um, a lot of times with Gucci, we went through every species out there, uh, starting with seal. Um, and so it took a long, long time. I mean, that, that, that conversation was happening the entire time that I've been at the Humane Society, so 10 years. And, and just now, are we getting getting to somewhere? Um, does that answer your question?
1: Yes, because okay. I didn't really ask a great question. So you, you, you gave me a wonderful answer to a non-question. Um, <laughs> Sometimes it's hard, you know, you 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 uh, you talk about uh, journalism and interview skills and everything, and say, oh, well, a beautifully crafted question, and you spend time rolling it around in your head and writing down versions of it. And then eventually, you sometimes just have to be like, here's some information, can you please respond to it? <laughs> um, and that works. But in all honesty, that part of it is you're the expert on this, I'm not. So let's set you up to talk about it. Um, so... It is impressive when we look at the list. So I've got the um, uh, humane society.org site open, uh, HSUS, for the 2018 annual report and um, the list of clothing manufacturers, retailers and designers who joined our call to drop fur from their lines grew dramatically in 2018 includes um uh, columbia sportswear company fur free announcements from coach burberry donna karen dkny uh versace furla but i'm i'm insulting entire cultures here by my pronunciations i'm sorry
0: i can tell you that when i started working this i um would look up how to say some of these brands um on the internet like right before i would be going in and meeting with them i'd be like okay how do you say that balenciaga um And then there was this – I found – sorry to go off on a little tangent, but I found like that there was this website that was trying to spoof people on it by showing them how to mispronounce it. So you really (laughs) had no idea if it was – I think Justin Bieber was the first one I realized that it was like Justin Bieber It said – Justine Bieber Holbin <laughs> like, Oh, no, I have yeah. gotta double check before I go into some of these meetings, but yeah, it's it's really just taken off I mean if you look at it like in a timeline um, it, It's going up and it's going up very quickly to the point where um, we we could potentially be running out of some of these really well-known global brands and that's where um, I mean, where we have the biggest strength through the Fur Free Alliance, who Fur Bear Defenders is part of, as well as the Humane Society of the United States. So it's 50 or, uh, animal protection organizations from like 25 countries around the world that all are working to end the fur trade. And that's where I think it's it's really scary to some of these these brands um, to see the the strength, the global strength of an organization like that. And we're getting to the point where there aren't that many left and there's plenty plenty to go but um we are potentially working our way out of out of a job out of a, an industry and um it's already rearing its head what's next and I, i've seen some of these brands that have gone for free like 10 years ago are now focusing on exotic skins and it's a whole other conversation it's a whole other supply chain and you have to you got to appreciate the complexity of some of these these supply chains um, and i think that that's what companies really resonates with them that you're like you're trying to understand this stuff with them because it's so difficult to have transparency from a a hut in malaysia that's killing pythons to a purse yeah in new york city and so once you do like start diving into that and seeing the illegal trade that's part of it and the cruelty there's just no standards and um that's where you're now seeing companies take that additional step like chanel um when they went for free they banned exotic skins too so it's also this competitive race between brands of who's going to be the most humane and that's what we're seeing with these cities going for free as well Is la is like we're the most humane city in the world. And now New York city is going to say, we're the most humane city in the world. So there's this race of compassion that it's I guess it's quite beautiful um, Mm -hmm. if done for the right reasons, but uh, that's, that's this kind of this systematic like issue that's it's happening because of these changing attitudes, be it social media, be it just, just general awareness.
1: One of the uh, things, I don't know, and you can tell me, um, in the U.S., in in Canada, uh, the fur trade, um, particularly trapping, is very romanticized. Um, And today we're not going to get into the subject of colonization and colonialism and all of the associated (laughs) things. Um, uh, Those are important and play a role in where we're at now, but... That is a very sensitive, particular subject. So I'm not going to force mm-hmm. you into that conversation. Regardless, it is very romanticized, and governments are constantly, um, at the very least, I'd say our, our, our centrist to right leaning government officials are often praising trappers. They're often mm-hmm. creating legislation. Like we have a, a day to celebrate trapping heritage. Uh, In it's 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 an unofficial holiday, but it was recognized in the House of Commons. Um, And whenever there are conversations about this, whenever, you know, we send in thousands upon thousands of signatures on a petition about killing neck snares because of the dogs dying. uh, Mm. We get back a form letter about, oh, well, trapping is a traditional way of life in Canada, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have that kind of vote pandering in regards to trapping and fur farming in the U.S., yeah, I think it's
0: it's generally in the same boat as as hunting, um, but not as much. But you'll you'll see um, kind of hunters defend trappers and the other way around. Um, that doesn't really it hasn't really stopped um, the the down the decline of the industry. I think it's you're right. There's this idea of a traditional wanting to go out there and trap um, but right now it's just economically doesn't make sense for them uh, they can't pay for their gas to check their check lines and so it's you'll you'll still see some of these like you said romanticizing the idea of well, oh, I'm, I'm still going out there I'm not making any money I get ten muskrats and it doesn't really pay for anything but I'm just doing it because I love to do it. and I've been doing it since a kid um, and I think there this definitely has to be a, a, a change in the way we think. Um, there's this idea that I, I hope that we're all evolving and, and I mean, just the basic science on trapping doesn't really hold up. Mm-hmm. So you have this, this science and morality on one side versus tradition and what ended up happening for some of these luxury brands which was very much based on heritage and tradition of why that they the chanels the gucci's i mean they've been around for decades Uh, and what ended up having to happen was the we redefined what the word luxury meant and and that used to be tradition and now it's social responsible and innovation and, and I think that that's something's going to have to happen with, with the way we romanticize tra- uh, trapping and, and it, things like that, where something's going to have to change in the way that we, we explain it. I mean, it, it, I hope the science will always win out, but it, it's not really that, <laughs> that way mm-hmm. um, a lot of the times, but something, something's going to happen or you're, it's just going to disappear and no one's going to, you're going to write about it. Um, in the history books. So you're gonna read about it in the history books. And I kind of feel like that's the way a lot of this is going as well. Like trappers here in the United States, I mean, sure in certain cities are, are, can be going strong specifically with bobcats and, and coyotes because <laughs> of Canada goose. Um, but when those prices drop and, and, and I feel that they will, uh, they will, they'll just disappear. And it will be romanticized in history books. Um, So, that's I guess I, I I'm all around optimistic. <laughs> if you haven't
1: gotten that, that clear. Well, I agree. I mean, we're seeing a, a steady decline. If you look at the number of trapping licenses alone, if you look at the number of animals trapped, it's all been declining for the last thirty years, and as I think there's there's a lot of reasons for that, um, and I I hope there is a level of science and morality playing a role in those decisions for individuals um but i do agree there's a certain element of it it's getting uh more expensive to load up your atv or your pickup truck with um uh, sorry there are two birds fighting right outside my window and i may have add go
0: break
1: it up uh, <laughs> no okay they moved on they moved on it was just a little <laughs> scat um Yeah, so it's, it's, it is, it's getting more expensive to go out and check the traps. The, the value of the pelts has declined. And generally speaking, it's not as acceptable in society. Uh, People say like, really, you, you like to go out and set a trap to catch an animal and then kill them and then skin them. I mean, if you just say it out loud in that way, even it sounds kind of weird. And I think, yeah, we're just generally evolving as a society. I do want to talk about Canada Goose. This is the one we deal with the most. They are uh, based in Canada, even though they're now owned by an American hedge fund. Um, They don't like talking about that part when they're talking about how traditional they are. Uh, Hmm. And there's so much to talk about with Canada Goose. But uh, you'd mentioned that, uh, you know, they may be looking to evolve. And we know that they are now selling their parkas without coyote fur trim. Um you can still buy the coyote for trim, but they've got versions without it, which mm-hmm. is interesting. And there was a rumor that picked up steam, but I, I tried to debunk to a degree that they were gonna have a faux fur. Um I don't know if you saw the news on that hitting
0: I, I did or, and I I see where it's coming from and I quickly dismissed it.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. I, I did the follow-up work <laughs> and contacted everyone at Canada Goose and um I called the the head office, I called uh, the flagship store, I call it customer service. I spoke with two or three people, all of whom dismissed it. Um, and then I'd reached out to the corporate structure who, of course, their model of communication is to not communicate mm-hmm. at all. Um, I think they've been doing that steadily now for five years. Um, cause at first they start, they, they are for a while they were responding to advocacy issues and then they just stopped. Um, and I think their, their model, my interpretation of their model is as long as we're making money, you can do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, I mean, how do you see, how do, how do we tackle one of the largest or at the very least most visible users of Coyote firm?
0: Well, first off, I, I think some of that, um, these fur sales bands are going to, help with that mm-hmm. uh, the other is it is, is a conversation so you mentioned faux fur and I, I don't think knowing what i know about canada goose there is going to be just a switch to a acrylic based um faux fur maybe,
1: I, I, maybe there will be but nah, um i agree with what you they've prided
0: themselves on i don't i
1: don't see it yeah it would be a total reversal in character of who the company sets themselves up to be
0: Yeah. So what's happening now with all these companies going for free and potentially cities is there is now money being pumped into who's going to be, again, another race amongst brands, uh, who's going to have that first really sustainable, even plant based uh, to an extent faux fur option. And so Stella McCartney, I think, did something with corn this last year. Um, there's other sort of uh, textiles that are, are are popping up every every now and then um, that have kind of the look and the feel of fur. And I think now that there's so many so much money going into it that there is going to potentially be a very sustainable uh, alternative to fur. And I think that that would be more appealing to a, a Canada goose. Um, where they can say, well, this is the most sustainable um, faux option out there that's not plastic. And um, I could see them making that switch. There's also, I don't know if you've been following like the lab grown meat or the cultured meat um, that's happening. Well, the same is happening with leather. Um, There's a company called Modern Meadow that's growing actual leather in labs. Uh, Every fashion brand out there is just, waiting for it just a pounce on it when it's ready um, there's several other companies um, that are in bolt in San Francisco is doing the same and it's I've already heard from scientists that say that they don't think it's too far off I mean when I say too far off I'm, I'm thinking like a decade um, where we're gonna be able to grow hair out of that leather Wow and and so I don't know if <laughs> Canada Goose is going to be around then. I don't I don't think if they uh, they don't switch up their their fur policy in the next five years that they're going to be around. But um, I think that that could be potentially if you want real luxury fur, um, you can have real hair with real skin, and uh, it won't have to hurt an animal for it. So I think alternatives are are going to play a thing because we're seeing that in every industry out there. Um, like one of the the best examples is just like, they probably, Henry Ford did more for animals than anybody else. And the idea wasn't to help animals. Um, he just put a car on the road and all horses pretty much were obsolete. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what's going to be the great innovation that's going to make the fur industry obsolete. And it wouldn't be shocking to me in the near future to see the fur industry starting to look into some of those same way that like Tyson and Smithfield, some of these big meat companies see the writing on the wall and they're saying, well, let's, let's start looking into some of this lab grown or cultured uh, beef um, and chicken and because this is this is what has to happen for not just for the environmental reasons, but just this shift in what consumers care about. Uh, and they're, like, right now, some are fighting it, some are accepting it, and I think it's just sooner or later everyone's gonna be accepting it, and the same is gonna happen with, with fur as well. Um, so how Canada Goose does it, um, I don't know, and how quickly they do it, but I think the, they will be changing. And I, I, you said, uh, the American investment company I mean I think it's a a good point to contact Bain Capital about these issues I'm sure this is uh, I mean they own majority of the stake of Canada Goose Um, Canada Goose has come out very openly or has come out and said well we're not going we're not going to have that conversation but maybe Bain Capital will Um, I'm sure that they haven't had to deal with animal activists before so uh, might be interesting
1: that is a very interesting tact and something uh, we're going to have to talk about later, I think. But uh, yeah, it is interesting looking at some of those evolutions. And I know Joshua Catcher, uh, who I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. is always uh, posting stuff about some of those leather alternatives and whatnot, uh, which it, it kind of boggles my mind. But I uh, successfully purchased one piece of stock in Beyond Meat, so I feel like I've contributed. Congratulations. Thank that's, you.
0: That's a hard stock to get.
1: Yeah, I think I've made 25 cents in the last <laughs> Two days, so I'm on my way, man. I'm on my way. Um, but I, th- yeah, Canada Goose is it's it's something of an enigma uh, because their marketing strategy at this point very much seems to be we're right, period, mm-hmm. and they just, they don't enter into conversation, they don't debate. Uh, they put out their stuff. Uh, folks like you and I break it down and offer analysis of it. Um, but it's it's a very unusual situation though as i said i think it's very telling that they are now offering products without fur trim um and uh, i think that's a sign that they're trying to expand without saying anything uh but one of the things they say and you've touched on is uh talking about the the degradation of plastics or or polyurethrene uh no i said that wrong poly poly eat po, poly something um, that's it's something like that yeah. um We'll, we'll just presume I was correct because um, it is my show. I don't know. Yes. but uh, Anyway, um, but one of the things I've seen, so they talk a lot about that, about, the, you know, how it's unsustainable to be using plastics. And I know a lot of the fur farmers and fur trappers in Canada, they do little stunts, like they'll bury a piece of fur, untreated, of course um and a piece of faux fur which is a very cheap plastic uh version and then in six months reveal it and say look the plastic hasn't changed but the real fur is broken down um mm-hmm. which of course i they treat that stuff so heavily that it doesn't mm-hmm. break down that's the point but yeah. uh it is a very serious issue though if people are looking if they do like the look and feel and texture of fur on clothing if designers want to work with it i think that's a very important thing to acknowledge uh, that oftentimes we in in advocacy avoid is that the alternative right now is typically plastics and that's not sustainable that's not good for the environment uh, how can we as consumers support those changes though leading towards this innovation and the excitement of it yeah that's a very good question um
0: i i, I haven't heard of that tactic of burying the faux fur and real fur right that's that's quite amusing um Mm -hmm. especially that it's untreated because um i've heard of some of the the lakes and that have been ruined by some of these fur farms up in is it nova scotia nova scotia Um, i mean there's a there's it's quite a gruesome process of raising a bunch of thousands of animals in one central location where the urine and feces goes into the water and the soil and then i mean every fashion brand that does a sustainability report, the tanning process is by far the most impactful. There's another thing I want to point out is really one of the difficult things for the faux fur fashion industry has been that they are not the biggest buyer of faux fur. and. So when it comes to these these huge companies that have been around for a long time that have created the you know the the plush materials, their major their like major market is plush toys, stuffed hmm. animals. And so when the fashion industry is coming like, we want all this environmental uh, reports and for you to do better and better, and there's they're, they're kind of saying, we don't have to because you don't buy like it's until the stuffed animal people come out in revolution and say, we want better (laughs) stuffed animals. Um, then you'll see faux fur get environmentally sound very quickly. That's a terrifying thought though, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. We, we pick and choose our arguments and the, the fur industry is, putting it out there right now that faux fur is horrible and the microplastics in the ocean not even realizing i i mean i never heard of anyone kind of repeatedly washing their fur trim jacket mm. um their faux fur trimmed back jacket yet so that's that's a whole other side of it but i think the the conversation is happening where you know we're moving away from plastic bags and and plastic everything and the demand is there and i think it's it's reaching the manufacturers it's reaching the brands and i i think as long as that that tends to be at the forefront of what people care about um the fur industry really or the faux fur industry is really just a little behind to be honest with you they just came out with the first faux fur made with plastic bottles um but this change is happening so fast that i'm going to guess i've heard from some of the brands that they say about two years, and you're going to have a sustainable faux fur. Um, it's just it's all following this quick change that's happened. Only, I mean, if you look again, if if I had a timeline of where the the fur-free policies have started, we're looking at 2006, end of 2006, 16, sorry, 2016, end of 2017. That's where this shift has happened. And it's going to take a little bit of time for the faux fur industry to catch up but it's going to happen very quickly so the change is happening and it's driven by consumers that care about these issues and and that that goes for environmental animal welfare human rights and all of the above
1: i've got two questions i want to ask you uh to to wrap up one of them is about self-care and so on. This is something that I see a lot on social media, and I'm not sure if you ever need to, if you you are involved with social media or if you manage any uh, channels for HSUS. But when we post about one of your victories, when we post about one of the European nations saying we're going to in four years end fur farming. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's always, and I, I grew up in, in a home where corporate structures were talked about regularly. And I recognize, and, and you touched on this as well, talking about those convoluted supply chains that you, you can't pull the plug all the time. Uh, and particularly with some of the larger companies or with a nation, if they were to do that, it would put such a financial burden on them uh that it wouldn't be sustainable because they'd have to cancel contracts and they'd have to to cancel a lot of other things and in business there's always cancellation fees there's always that loophole so someone makes money um and as so you're sitting here and you're you're talking with these companies and you're making the change and as we've discussed for the last 40 minutes change takes time sometimes In the interim, one of the things I see a lot of when we post about this, is people saying it's not fast enough, that suffering is still happening, and it is. And that's a very fair thing to point out. But I think it's also important to talk about, for someone like yourself, and I try and talk very openly about my self-care, my mental health, uh, working in this field. How do you manage, personally, uh, sort of the, the, the recognition that you're working towards this goal, and you're, ma- you're 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 doing so well. It's so impressive, and it's so good for all the animals and all the people of the planet, and we all appreciate that. Um, but it is a slow change, and suffering will continue while you're in this fight. How do you reconcile that for yourself at the end of the day? Uh, do you, do you have just activities you do that bring you down and level you out, or do you have a conversation with yourself or someone else about what this all means? What does self-care in that regard look like for you um, in terms of making what you do sustainable? Sure. <clears throat> well, uh, I have actually a therapy
0: appointment right after this. So mm-hmm. there's one.
1: <laughs> I had mine
0: earlier in the week. So um, So I was born vegetarian. Um, I went vegan like 15 years ago. Um, being born vegetarian and trying to like learn why i care about these issues more than just that's what mom made made for dinner yeah um was was a process but the thing that uh has kind of switched for me is is the business side of this um i i hate to say it but i i I've cut myself off of the emotional side where I just see this as a business and I want these companies to do well and I believe so much in what I preach that to do well you have to do good and and so I, I that's the way I view all of this um, I don't necessarily look at the skinning footages anymore um, I know that they. I know what the indus- I know what the supply chains look like, um, but that. I guess that's the my best answer is. I just. I'm so entrenched in the business side of this argument um, that the morality and the cruelty um, is always going to be the number one issue. It's. It's the number one thing that's going to change people. It's the number one thing that's going to change um, like people's minds. But for me, if I'm just driving over home, this message that this change is happening, no matter what, and either you're going to be left behind, or you're going to be a leader, um, it so far has been helpful, and and at least changing the the way that the fur trend is 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 going at this point.
1: Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. It um, does. It does very well. And that's, for me, I compartmentalize. I learned how to do that as a journalist and a crime reporter. Um, And my attitude has been, my job is to tell stories. That's still what I do. And in order to tell these stories, I need to be able to sit with whatever's going on Mm -hmm. and observe and analyze and research and talk and do all of the things. And later I will deal with the emotional impact of that uh, and I do, and that's just, I go to therapy, I do improv, I watch a lot of comedy, I spend time with friends, um, you know, those are my little self-care things, but I, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying, and I think it's hard for those who don't do this every single day of their life um, in the way that we have to, mm-hmm. um, where it's not just, are you successful, but y- you have to show in a, uh, almost a business sense, what have we accomplished? I have to deliver on measurables. Um, I have to tell the stories. I have to, like, there's a job to be done. Uh, so it's sort of, you, you learn to filter it to a degree. Uh, but I don't want to end on that note. I want to end on what you think, what are so, the one thing? If you, I mean, you've got an audience listening to you right now. What's the one thing that you, that HSUS needs people to do to help in this, this battle? Uh, in whatever way it is whether it's it's a particular petition if it's donating to organizations if it's getting in the street if it's making purchase uh, power decisions what to you is the the penultimate thing people can do to be part of the solution and one of the leaders as you've said
0: well thank you um for this entire conversation it's it's really been i mean that last question i don't think i've ever been asked before so i i appreciate that i don't I don't know if I think about it enough. Um, that, 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 we'll leave that for therapy later. But, um, <laughs> but the number one thing, I mean, besides the obvious of not buying fur, is, is I really think the social media thing is is quite crucial um, because I know the companies care about that. When a company goes for free and you go to their their comment section on their Facebook page or Instagram and you just see hundreds of thank yous I and mean, that's not something they get every day it's something they get very very rarely because it's mostly people criticizing on on different social media so if you are somebody that works for a company and you're you do social media and you just you wake up and you see your your comment section and it's just thank you you're great you're wonderful that's going to not just make confer- that they did the right thing but it's also going to lead to additional policies and that's what I mean I think fur is a starting off point because it's the most in-your-face it's the, the, the one that I think the majority of people are against but there's a lot of things that we need to change about the fashion industry and and the more that they see that positive promotion um, with some of these policies uh, can eventually lead to additional policies. I think it's, it's really, really important. Um, and something that a lot of people don't think about as well is fashion industry is constantly moving in different employees. So like, somebody can be a, uh, work in social media for one fashion company and then they immediately go to work in sustainability for another company. Mm-hmm. And what they're gonna do is they're gonna bring that messaging along and they're gonna remember oh, we went for free. Um, let's get that positive promotion because it was great for our company, great for our social media. We got an X amount of followers that day. Um, and so I think that the wave um, that happens after that is is just great. So, I mean, ask companies if they're for free or not. And I, I do know that retailers do kind of track those things. And if they aren't, then say, well, it'd be really great uh, if you did. And if they are, then you say thank you. So I think that that's just, it's pretty simple. Um, Share on social media and and we'll get there.
1: If you want to hear more about what PJ has been up to, check out the Humane Society of the United States on social media or visit humanesociety.org. And now, the news. Beginning in June, the Fur Bears and Defender Radio will be launching YoungDefenders.ca, a website and podcast specifically made for people aged 16 and under who want to learn more about how to help protect wildlife and the environment. I'm going to be releasing a special podcast and blog shortly to give you more details, but the gist is that I've heard from a number of young people and their families about how they'd love a youth focused podcast on these subjects. It'll be set up a little bit differently than Defender Radio in that there's a standalone website and the interviews won't be quite as long. You'll also be hearing from many voices in addition to my own. I'm also gonna be looking to all of you to help build the community for this new exciting project. So stay up to date on what's happening by signing up to get email alerts at youngdefenders.ca. And you can start following Young Defenders on social media. Just search for the name and look for the shield. The existing Defender Radio Patreon will be extended to incorporate Young Defenders, and that means a Discord chat coming soon too. Get more details at patreon.com slash Defender Radio. I'm really excited for this, and one of the things that makes me so excited is that I'm hoping this community will help generate content for the show. I really hope that young people will help educate other young people. As I said, there's going to be more information in coming weeks. So please do follow us on social media and head to the website youngdefenders.ca to sign up for email alerts so you can find out how you can help defend the future of wildlife and the environment through education, communication, and kindness. And until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears reminding you to be kind and stay informed and stay strong.